the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. On today's edition, a conversation with someone that is perhaps familiar to you. He is the keynote speaker on the weekly broadcast of Living on the Rock Radio, the founder and senior pastor of Living Rock Church, located in Sunnyvale, and a delight to join us on the program today, Pastor Israel Labson. Pastor Labson, thank you so much for carving some time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. Well, thank you very much, Craig, for the opportunity. This is a a, a a real privilege for us to be Church of the Week. Absolutely, our privilege and an opportunity to get a chance to get to know a bit more about you and what God is doing in and through your ministry. I want to start with perhaps a bit of a fundamental question, but but one I think that might be of interest to listeners. Um, in the choosing of both the name of your congregation as well as the radio broadcast, Living on the Rock, kind of pull back the curtain, if you would, for us and tell us, why the Lord led you to use that title? Well, you know, Jesus is the rock. And we feel that a name must reflect our main focus. And that is we need to to focus on who Jesus is in our lives. And that's fundamentally the focus of, of my preaching ministry, to just lead people to lean and then stand on the rock and then live on the rock. I mean, fundamentally, uh, a Christian must have that established in his or her life. And, and so that's basically, there's, there's nothing behind the meaning of the, the name. It's just to focus on Jesus as the only way where we can stand in life. And, and really foundational to not only his teachings, but foundational to what our relationship with him should be. And, and perhaps sadly, far too often, uh, we're seeing, and, and certainly research is even bearing this out as we get reports about the number of people that identify today as nuns, meaning they have no religious affiliation whatsoever, right. and perhaps were raised accordingly so. And 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 as a result, even seen within the church, growing numbers of people that they come to church, they get blessed, maybe they watch it over a live stream, they like what they hear, they feel encouraged. But in terms of any sense of their life being built on some sort of firm foundation, uh, that Christ being central to who they are, how they live, their relationships, uh, their day-to-day decisions. That, that Oftentimes we see certainly perhaps a, a greater degree of more cultural-type Christianity than what I'll call true faith. And I would wonder if, if that is especially so in a region like the San Francisco Bay Area where we have such a high per capita income and higher degrees of education and 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 people tend to for the most part live fairly comfortably and of course with that kind of a backdrop oftentimes people say well you know i i call out to god when i'm really in trouble and need him but on a day-to-day basis not so much so that's absolutely right and uh, you know you mentioned it the bay area is a very tough uh not to crack so to speak when it terms uh, you know, to presenting the spiritual aspects of life, the gospel itself. And uh, and sometimes even Christians forget that Jesus calls us to his kingdom. And because there's so much distraction, there's so much knowledge floating around, there's so much um, opportunities to, you know, to make money, as you said, that we forget that when we enter the kingdom of God, Jesus becomes our king. He becomes our ruler. And the focus of our lives must revolve around our relationship with Christ, regardless of what station we we have in life, whether, you know, we're, we're, we're struggling or whether we we're, we're riding high on this Bay Area lifestyle that we have, we need to understand that Jesus is our, our Lord and our King, and, uh, 
and, and we need to, to design our lives based on that. You've been involved in church ministry here in the San Francisco Bay region for a good number of years. I'll mention for the benefit of listeners that you graduated from San Jose Christian College, known today as William Jessup University. Yes. You also have your master's degree from Western Seminary. How long have you been working here, and, and what are some of the changes that you have seen down through the years that present both challenge and opportunity for the church? Well, I'd like to mention that I had been a bivocational pastor for the past 25 years, and I had been serving Living Rock for uh, for 25 years. Um, and I have uh, seen a, a great many changes. I, I still have a job today. I still work secularly. And I've seen the church... Uh, from being ethnocentric, you know, I, I've, I used to pastor a Filipino church only. <laughs> That's my background. I'm, I'm from the Philippines. I was born and raised there. I came to the Bay Area in 1979 as a teenager. And when I started in the ministry, uh, it was very, you know, ethnocentric. Uh, it's just us, you know, I deal only with the cultural aspects of the people that I'm ministering to. But at some point, you know, that has changed. Uh, we now pastor a, a more diverse type of uh, church with all kinds of people coming in, uh, uh, listening to the message. And it's, it taught me that, that the gospel is for everybody. And it's not, it's not supposed to be just culturally confined, but it has to be, um, it has to impact everybody who would listen to, to, to the word and listen to the message, and it has to impact them at the core of their very lives. So that's the big thing, that, the big change that I've seen, you know, from when I started a few years ago to now. We are now more um, diverse, <laughs> so to speak. And I found that people, people's needs are the same, whoever they are. And I think that's the biggest, biggest thing that I've seen um, in the years that I've been ministering in the area that, that we're on. Some people feel intimidated by that. You know, I think Dr. Martin Luther King once said that America is no more divided racially than she is Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. <laughs> and, and in some parts of the country, it's a real struggle to try to achieve some level of diversity. And yet here in the San Francisco Bay Area, it seems to be almost organic, People come from all over the country, all over the world for opportunities. They like the climate. They like the the the, the yeah. atmosphere that, that life in California in a broad sense, and certainly specifically in the Bay Area, can afford. There are tremendous opportunities for career advancement here. And so there's almost been a sense that the Bay Region has maybe been one of the greatest examples of a melting pot perhaps more so than any other part in the country, maybe even in the planet. And yet some people sometimes, I think, feel that as a challenge. But I have to wonder at the end of the day, um, is the, the Bay Area's sense of diversity uh, more of an asset than it is a liability, in your opinion? Absolutely. I, I mean, it goes both ways. Those of us who started, you know, with just our own group, so to speak, again, you know, in a Filipino community, uh, those of us who, who started that way, I mean, there's a certain sense of, of, of comfort in knowing that, hey, you know the people that you're talking to, and it's easier to communicate with them, you know, you, you speak the same language, you have the same, the same type of cultural habits and things like that. I, church I don't church know exactly potlucks are easier, you know. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and, 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 you know, you, you tend to understand um, that you know this is this is comfortable i mean it's 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 your own kind so therefore you know you can communicate the gospel with them um you know accordingly but that's just not i believe that's not what god wants to do i think i think we need to walk away from being so um uh, you know culturally centered among uh, you know among ourselves that we forget that god wants everybody <laughs> To be saved, regardless of who they are. So we 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 have to make a conscious decision not to be, uh, you, you know, a culturally centered church, but a, a gospel centered church where we welcome everybody uh, and invite them to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, and I think I think that's a great opportunity that we have here in the Bay Area 
uh, that we have that kind of diversity, that we, we don't have to worry about who to minister to. We can just invite anybody. Let them come in and let them experience the love of God. And, so instead of being of afraid God. of it or off put by it or intimidated by it, it sounds like what you're suggesting is we actually should lean into it. And maybe in a real sense, not only just in terms of the broader sense of it looking more like what heaven will look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, anybody had has the, the notion that there's going to be, you know, the Baptist section and the Pentecostal section and the Presbyterian right. section, I think is going to be really surprised. But moreover, the notion, especially for the survival of the church, as Mm. we see neighborhoods grow and change, and oftentimes, you know, we used to see these these slow transitions. Your your background, in part, I understand, is in is in technology, and Mm. and and you certainly, uh, amongst many, would understand that there was a period of time where major shifts in technology might come in 20- and 30-year periods. I mean, if you look at the automobile, for example, from its inception in the late 1800s in through the 1950s, really fundamentally hadn't changed much. And then suddenly changes started to come more and more rapidly. And, you know, we, we think of 30 years ago, it was a television set that either had rabbit ears or or maybe connected to a community cable system now today we we carry the television set you know right here in our pocket it's called a cell phone and 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 computers that during world war ii would take up buildings to do simple calculations we have 10 times as much calculating power sitting at our desk and so these rapid changes that we're seeing are coming faster and faster and i think that's true too when it comes to the the dynamic, the, the social, economic, and spiritual makeup of neighborhoods, so that a church that was firmly planted in one particular neighborhood with the goal of reaching that neighborhood now sits 10, 20 years later looking around and saying, none of the folks that were here in the beginning are here today. Things have changed, and so for us to survive, we need to either pick up and move elsewhere, which is not always recommendable, or grow where we're planted, and learn how to be, as Scripture exhorts us, to be instant in season and in out of season, to be agile in a sense, to respond to those local changing community needs. Absolutely. And I, and I think, um, you know, technology is a great thing. And, and uh, we had been in that area in Sunnyvale for, for a very long time, for, for over 25 years. And I firmly believe that, you know, if God planted that local congregation there, we better do everything we can to make sure that we're doing our our due diligence to reach uh, that, that neighborhood. It used to be, uh, where we are, used to be a, a commercial area where there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, automotive shops and, and things like that. Now there are a bunch of condominiums, multi-million dollar condominiums, condominiums, if I may add. And you're right, the demographics have changed. They're young professionals, very smart people, and our work is cut out for us. We need to reach them somehow in, in their, in their, uh, where they are. And at the same time, we need to be true to, to the fact that uh, the Holy Spirit has to you know, has to be involved in reaching them. They have to, we have to uh, focus on the fact that, that, that where, wherever we are, whatever neighborhoods we're in, whatever community we're trying to serve, uh, God opens the door for us uh, to reach those people uh, in more ways than maybe uh, we're not used to, but it's a good opportunity and a challenge to get started. Uh, It's intimidating uh, to talk to some of the younger people in in our areas right now because they are smart and they are rich, literally rich, and uh, and it makes for a very difficult a challenge to to introduce them to the to the gospel, but God finds a way and makes a way uh, for the local church to be part of that. And I'm I'm, I'm happy to say that, you know, we uh, we have been blessed uh, to see uh, some young people, you know, coming around and 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 uh, really 
getting more spiritually interested uh, than before. Pastor Lobson, for folks that have been eavesdropping on our conversation today saying, wow, I, I really like what pastors had to share today, and I'd like to find out more about what God is doing at Living Rock Church of Sunnyvale. Take a couple of moments, if you would, please, and just tell us a bit about the church and what God is doing there. Well, uh Again, we're we're a small uh, congregation, and there's a lot of advantages to that. Uh, you, you know, you you can have my time and my undivided attention. If you come, I will be talking to you. I, I I'll be doing my best, uh, you know, to to welcome you. We do things very simply in our church. We don't have a whole lot of, uh, you know, a whole lot of strategies and 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 you know, programs, but you can expect to, to praise and worship God in the church. Uh, we, we, we sing a lot. Uh, we eat a lot as a small church. We, we do have potlucks and it, you know, that, that people think that that's part of church now and we make no excuses for that. Uh, Jesus says, I knock on the door, you open the door, I'll, I'll sit down and I'll sup with you. I mean, we, we use every excuse to make sure that we, we face each other in front of a table over a meal. And that's part of our, our communion. And a lot of people think, well, you know, they're just going to come because of the food. I don't care. You come for whatever reason you, 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 you have, and I can guarantee you, uh, we do things simply. We worship God. We praise God. We pray for one another, and we proclaim the word as best as we can. And uh, we want to reach out to you, and and we believe and are confident that God works in so many great ways through simple things that we do in, in our local church. We we do have a community outreach. Uh, we do feed the, the, the poor and the hungry in our community. Uh, we're given once a month to do that by the city. Um, we have Bible studies and fellowship, but our main focus is to just connect people to the Word of God, first and foremost, uh, connect people to Jesus, and in the process, you know, minister to them the best way we can and reach out to them. And the, the program has really done a, a, a lot of wonderful things. I mean, we've started seeing people who listen to the program coming in and, and, and checking us out. And um, uh, that's something that, uh, you know, uh, we're very glad and very privileged uh, to have because that's our ministry to, to reach out, to point people to Jesus. And uh, you, 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 you may not, you may not see a big, fanfare or anything like that but uh, we, we guarantee that uh, that you will sing and you will worship Jesus when you enter our church. Yeah, it's about the simplicity and the power of the gospel and the word uncompromisingly preached. Absolutely. And when you mentioned about, well, if we serve them a big meal, they'll only come, come for the food. Can you imagine when Jesus fed the 5,000, if some of the disciples <laughs> had said, wait a minute now, if we feed these folks, they're just going to come for the food. That's okay. Yeah. They may come for the food, but his word never goes out and returns void. Absolutely. It accomplishes his good pleasure. Well, if you're in the greater Sunnyvale area, we invite you to check out Living Rock Church. You can find them at 675 East Taylor Avenue in Sunnyvale. They've got a comprehensive website with more information at livingrockchurch.org. That's livingrockchurch.org. And the radio broadcast, which Pastor just referred to a moment ago, Living on the Rock Radio, can be heard Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM 1100 KFAX. Again, online, livingrockchurch.org. That's livingrockchurch.org. And Pastor Israel Labson, been such a delight to spend some time visiting with you. Thanks so much for visiting with us today. Much, Craig. I, I appreciate this opportunity and thank you for uh, uh, allowing us uh, uh, this time and, and this moment uh, to share something about our church. Really appreciate it. We're going to talk about God's perfect love. Now, God's love is perfect because in Jesus, we find perfect grace and perfect truth. So this morning, we begin that two-part series with a message entitled, Perfect Grace, When Change Seems Impossible. Notice the eagle. The eagle has the longest lifespan among birds. 
it can reach up to 70 years old. But to get there, it must make some very, very hard decisions. When it reaches the age of 40, it can no longer grab anything with its talons or its fingers. Its old age and heavy, thick wings, due to their thick feathers, become stuck to its chest and it makes it difficult to fly. This is at the age of 40. Its long and sharp beak becomes bent. And at that age, the eagle has only two options. Die or go through a process of change that will last 150 days. The process requires the eagle to fly to a mountaintop and sit on its nest. Then the eagle will knock its beak repeatedly on a rock. Repeatedly knocking its beaks until it plucks out. After plucking it out, the eagle will wait for a new beak to grow out that can take several weeks, if not months. Then it will proceed to pluck its own talents with the same process, hitting it against the rock. When the talons grow back, the eagle can now then pluck its old feathers out completely and wait until new ones grow out. After those 150 days, five months, the eagle will take its famous flight of rebirth and will live again for another 30 years. It can once again soar above the clouds during a storm. You know, when I read that about the eagle, this this verse in Isaiah that says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That brings about a brand new powerful meaning. It illustrates what what, what must take place in our lives in order for us to live the Christian life, in order for us to soar. We need the rock of God's perfect grace. We need to strip ourselves of the things in our lives that prevent us from soaring in this life. God's goal is for us to advance for His glory, to have that abundant life until we reach that place with Him in eternity. So let me ask the question this morning, what's holding up the flow of eternal life? In your life and mine. You know, when you became a Christian, when you trusted Jesus by faith, eternal life begins. It doesn't, eternal life doesn't begin when you die. It begins when you put your faith in Jesus. And that eternal life must flow continuously until you and I physically die and go to etern- and, and, and spend eternity with God. But the flow of eternal life starts when we become Christians. And that flow can get stifled. So let me ask the question again. What's stifling the flow? What's holding up the flow of eternal life? Is it some dark event in your past? Is it a present habit? Or a future worry? Whatever it may be, whatever is stopping the flow of eternal life in us, we need the grace of God to push through those things. God's grace is meant to be experienced. God's grace must accomplish its work in our life as followers of Jesus. So this becomes a very important aspect of our growth. This is one of those foundational things that you and I need to know to be solid in our walk with the Lord. The work of grace must accomplish its goal. That goal is to change us and mold us into the kind of people that will give glory and honor to God for the rest of our lives. Did you know that? And when you come to faith in Jesus, the preoccupation of your life and mine is to give glory and honor to, to Jesus. That's it. And all the things that we enjoy in life along the way is predicated by that pursuit. The pursuit of giving glory and honor to Christ. That's why it's so important for all of us not only to grasp the, the meaning of God's grace, but to experience that grace for ourselves, okay? 
So, you know, uh, uh, in my own life, for a long time, and this is kind of a, a testimony and a confession at the same time, maybe you can relate to this. You know, I know and I believe in God. I was raised in church. I knew I placed my faith in Jesus and I trusted in Jesus. But it seems like I was unable to live the life that God intended for me to live for a very long time. You know, I was having a hard time soaring. Many of you, your Christian life is great. You know, it's just a straight shot, a straight line. You never had to go through any kind of hindrances in your Christian life. And if that's you, I admire you, I congratulate you. But mine was like a zigzag. That's typical of, of how my life was when I first came to, to, to the Lord. And I know some of you have felt that way. You know, you kind of hit a wall spiritually and you can't move forward for some reason. Some reasons you know why. Some reasons you just, just don't have it. You don't have that, uh, that, that, that desire to soar for the glory of God. And I was unable for myself, unable to live the life that God intended for me to live. Until I discovered that I can really experience the grace of God. Until then, there was no change in me. I knew I was a Christian. There was no doubt in my mind. But I had no power to clean up my life. But one day, by the grace of God, that I experienced for myself, one day, it just clicked. I kept going back to the same besetting sins. I came back to the same uh, bad thinking, the same bad decision-making, until I got a hold until God, rather, had got a hold of my life and said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. You can, in fact, experience my grace that will help you change the way you live. Now, Paul, the man who wrote our text, all of you know who he is in the Bible, understood this principle of experiential grace. In his own life, you know, he, he had to deal with thorns, that prevent him from, you know, two reasons, right? God wanted him not to be conceited because of all the revelations he's receiving. But also God wanted him to depend on his grace solely. He's the one who famously wrote that, that experience of God's grace being sufficient. So this morning, I, I'd like to, you know, maybe in some measure give an explanation of what that experiential grace is really about. What is grace? And what's the big deal about it? You know, we sing this song, Amazing Grace, all the time. You know, it's a nice song. It's a great song. But what's so amazing about this grace? Obviously, the most common definition of grace, and one that we're all familiar with, is what? God's unmerited favor. Okay? We're receiving something for nothing. That's what the grace of God really is defined in scriptures. Okay? Christ riches God's rather God's riches in Christ's expense. It's God's unearned unmerited favor. He's giving us something for nothing. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. We don't pay for it. It's granted to us by God as a free gift. And we all understand that definition of grace. And it's an absolutely correct definition of grace. However, it is often confused to mean that because God gives us grace as a gift, it means God doesn't obligate us to do anything else. And that's where the confusion comes in in so many of us. The goal of grace is to bring us to conformity with the Lord Jesus Christ, to make us more like Jesus. So although grace is given to us by God for free, it doesn't mean that we get to do what we want with it. It doesn't mean that it will not accomplish God's purposes in our lives. And that is to help us change from within. If you are a believer in Jesus, but there's no definite change in your life, or you keep on falling into the same trap of relying on your own power to be right with God, then there can only be two things that are true with you. Number one, 
that you are not experiencing the grace of God. Or number two, you really don't know what the grace of God is because you really have not been saved. So there's a second definition of grace that we must understand. Not only is grace God's unmerited favor, grace is also the ability to do the will of God. And I like that definition. Now both definitions are true, but the difference between the first definition of God's unmerited favor is that it's nice to hear. It's nice to believe, and we should believe that we're receiving God's grace unmeritedly, that we don't work for it. But it doesn't have any movement. When I say to you, God's grace is sufficient, you will say, yeah, okay, that's good, that's fine, and dandy, I can understand that. Intellectually, I can grasp it. I can understand the nature of God giving me that grace, but it's devoid of any kind of dynamic result. So we need to define grace another way. Not to change the first one. The first one is correct and true. But we need to bring this next definition. And that is grace is the ability to do the will of God. Okay? There's two aspects of this definition. Number one, ability. That gives it action. Grace is no longer just a fine idea or a fine teaching in scriptures, when we say that grace is the ability, now we're going to a dimension of grace wherein some action is required. And the second aspect is to do the will of God. So grace is the ability. God enables us to what? To do. Now, do means action. We, there's something that we have to do. And that activity in our life is for the purpose of fulfilling the will and purposes of God in our lives. So, so th- those two important things in that definition, grace is the ability. God enables us to do our part. The enabling is God's part. The doing of His will is our part. It's important to note that grace accomplishes two things. Now, this is important. Don't pay attention to the rain. We need it. Right? Everybody looking out in the rain, it's raining. The longer you pay attention to the rain, the longer the sermon's going to be. <laughs> Just kidding. Two important aspects of the grace of God, right? Number one, it saves us. Amen? We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, not by works so that we will boast. So grace saves us. But the Bible also says that grace makes us the righteousness of God. You know who the righteousness of God is? You. So one says, God bailed us out, has given us grace, has forgiven us, given us eternal life. But on the other side of that is that we become the righteousness of God. And righteousness is not just positionally, which it is. It's also the way we live. There's righteousness involved. So, what does it have to do with changing me? It has everything to do with changing us. The evidence that you and I are experiencing the grace of God is seen in the fact that we are doing the will of God in our lives. So again, if you remain unchanged after you trusted in Jesus, you receive Christ in your life as your Lord and Savior, but there's no spiritual movement forward, only two things can be true. Number one, possibly you are not saved. That you came to faith in Jesus because you had a need in your life. That you came to faith in Jesus because you're in trouble. Because you came to faith in Jesus because there's something empty in your life and all of that stuff. Now all that stuff's are all that stuff's good to bring you to faith in Jesus. But you and I did come to faith in Jesus for who he said he is. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one who died on the cross for you. That's what we hold on to. Jesus' Bible says, came full of grace and truth. And so it's time that we understand and realize these things in our lives. Grace is given to us to change us. To change us to what? So that we can do the will of God. That's what grace is supposed to do. Grace is not intended to be a relief of sin. It is meant to bring repentance of sin. That's an important consideration this morning. Grace is not about 
relieving us of sin. It's about to cause, it's about causing us to repent of our sins. We often don't reject sin because we don't know that grace has led us to repentance. We only feel sorry for our sin. We never change because the problem is we feel sorry that we did something wrong. But if we move from regret to rejection, that's when we experience the true power of the grace of God. So sin was not meant to be regretted for. I regret that I sinned. Fine. But grace is not intended for regretting sin. It's intended for rejecting sin. There's an old Japanese proverb that says, if you don't climb the mountain, you won't see afar. So we need this rock of God's grace in our life. We need to, to climb this mountain called, called grace. We must move towards that. We need to see the big picture of what God wants to accomplish in our lives so that we can, in fact, live this life more abundantly and more fully. If you look at a bird, birds may have wings, but if he doesn't flap his wings, he won't fly. The same is true with the grace of God. It may be available to you and I, but if we're not experiencing it, it's not going to change us. So the question remains, how do we experience the grace of God when change seems impossible? Now I understand we need the Holy Spirit to help us change. Amen? That's why Jesus said, sent the Holy Spirit to empower But the decision to change remains with us. Amen? God has given us everything we need to change. He has given us His Spirit. He has given us His Word. Obviously, He has given us salvation. He has given us the church. Amen? He's given everything. But we need to make that decision to climb that rock. And once we climb that rock, what do we do? We hit our beaks on that thing. Amen? Hit our talents on that thing until we shed them. Okay? So, perfect grace. How do we experience it? Three things I want to lay in our hearts this morning. Number one, perfect grace is, is evidence through transformational worship. That's where we begin. We know we're experiencing the grace of God. The evidence that the grace of God is being experienced in our lives is the fact that there is transformational worship taking place in our lives. Look at verse 3 again in our text that Janine read so generously. It was like a thousand verses and she went through it like a trooper. Look at what Paul, Paul writes. He says, For we, we who worship God in the Spirit are the only ones who are truly circumcised. We put no confidence in human effort. Instead, we boast about what Christ Jesus has done for us. What Paul was saying here was there are those who are using religious devices, obviously, to show themselves as worshipers of God. The religious zealots in Paul's day were requiring people to be literally, physically be circumcised to prove they are truly right with God and they're in fact truly true worshipers of God. And Paul opposed this idea. And we will know from reading the writings of Paul in the New Testament that the circumcision that God is doing is not a circumcision of the flesh, but a circumcision of the heart. We all understand that. So Paul, Paul opposed these things. And he says, no man-made act can make you right and good before God. No man-made act can make your worship true. It is God who changes the heart and it is us who will have to change our mind, follow in that change. We can't be right before God unless we understand that God has changed our hearts so we can change our mind. The Bible says true worshipers worship God through the renewing of their minds. Remember Romans 12? I urge you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. That's what Paul was talking about. You, you, you can't devise this on your own. I can't devise this on my own. God has to do a work in my heart, and I have to renew my mind according to change. 
that God has done in my heart. Did your heart worship this morning? Did your heart praise God? These are tough questions. Have you been given a new heart by God, one that is predisposed to worshiping Him? The very first focus of our desire is to worship God. Now, let's do some self-examination this morning. Do we crave the worship of God? Did you know that, that that song is true? God wants to give us a heart of worship. You know, that song is true. It's more true than we give it credit for. I'm going back to the heart of worship. That kind of it's very true. God has given us a heart of worship. That's how we know. That's why when, when we're worshiping mechanically and, and we come to worship like we come this morning and it's, a, it's kind of like a tradition, a mechanical thing in us, it's time to re-examine ourselves when it comes to that because you came this morning because you are craving the fact that you're worshiping with God's people this morning. Amen? And no rain ain't going to stop you. My old pastor used to say, Yo, three drops of rain keeps 30 people away. It's true. We have, there's a craving here that takes place. There has to be. There has to be a craving that takes place in our hearts for worship. That's the first sign, the first evidence that we have received and experiencing the grace of God. Do you talk to your spouse about God? The room got quiet. Do you talk to people about God? Do you talk to your spouse about God? How great is our God? That's something we can't fake. Because God transforms the heart. Do you boast about Jesus? Do we, do we boast about Jesus when people are talking to us about our personal faith? Do you talk to your husband about God? Or is God the focus of your fighting? Let, let, me, let me set you free this morning. If you have an unbelieving spouse, don't worry about God changing your spouse's heart. Worry about God changing your heart. Okay? You, being a Christian is an individual enterprise. You ain't saving your spouse. If your spouse hates God, sure, you made a mistake. The Bible says don't marry an unbeliever, and you did, and all that. You fell in love, and you know, she completes you, and all that stuff. You, you, you went from soulmate to cellmate. Yeah. See, that's what happens when, when, when fakeness enters into the dating scene. Everything is faked out. I'm not going to go into it. But do you talk to your spouse about that? Or is, is God the, the object of your pain? Yo, pastor, you know, my husband doesn't want to. Want, he want, wants to watch football, doesn't want to come to worship and all of that. So I'm going to worry about that. Let him watch football, okay? The line to enter hell is long. And there are people that are going to go there. Well, see, that's the, the thing, but I want my husband to be saved. Pray for your husband. That's all you can do. Pray for your wife. That's all you can do. The important thing is that you receive a heart of worship from God and that your, your heart has been transformed to worship Him, to crave for His presence. We worry too much about other people. When we share the gospel to people, amen, we share them, we love them. But, 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 but only God can change the heart. And when God changes the heart, let me tell you, the person will change the mind. That's called repentance, change of mind. Have you changed your mind because God has changed your heart? It's a legitimate question. Now there's another evidence of, of the experience of God's grace, and that is through transfer of loyalty. Not just transformational worship, but there is a transfer of loyalty that takes place and again, verse 7, I once thought, Paul writes, all these things were so very important, meaning his religious um, zealousness, 
his religious activities, the things that he, he wants to show people he's doing for God. He said, I once thought these things were so very important, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I have discarded everything else, counting it all garbage so that I may have Christ. Paul here was saying to, to his audience, I have all the credentials to be a great religious leader. You want to talk about knowledge of the law? I studied under Gamaliel. He is a chief Pharisee. He's the most learned Pharisee of them all. I learned under him. I was taught under him. So if you want to talk about knowledge of the law? Talk to me. I've got it. I graduated with flying colors. I studied under the most respected of teachers. You want to talk about royalty? I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Did you know that I'm from the tribe that crowned the first king of Israel, King Saul? Not only were we royalty, we were also prophets. So if you want to talk about spiritual credentials and royalty and all of that stuff, look at me. I came from a tribe that not only had royal blood, but had prophetic ministries attached to them. You want to talk about loyalty? Paul writes, I persecuted the church because I truly believed in my religion. I was willing to kill, to promote my own religion. And Paul says, but I met Jesus. I met Jesus on the road to Damascus and I had a transfer of loyalty. I had encountered the true and living God. He blinded me, according to Paul. God blinded Paul on that road to Damascus for two, two, so that he will stop looking at his past and that he will only see Jesus when his eyes are restored. And that's exactly what happened to him. And that's what God is doing to each and every person who comes to faith in him. God blinds us to the past so that we can see him Directly, today, and tomorrow. Listen very carefully. Sometimes it's going to take some very, very, very painful situation to get us to recognize the sufficiency of God's grace. Sometimes it will involve giving up so much in order for us to receive God's grace. And Paul writes, I consider everything that I have accomplished in the name of my religion, in the name of my own self-righteousness, I consider all of that garbage compared to the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. If you're not in that situation, don't wait. Don't wait for some bad things, some calamitous things, some tragedy to fix your eyes on Jesus and experience the grace of God. There has to be a transfer of loyalty. What's more important to us now in Christ is to see His life lived out in us. Don't be too proud to ask for God's grace. You're struggling with something. I know a lot of people who struggle very deeply with some very deeply rooted sins. You're not by yourself. Each and every person in this room had to do some soul searching, some deep surrendering in order to be able to soar and experience God's grace. But we're ashamed, you know, if I told the truth about who I really am when no one's looking, who I, who I really am when I'm by myself, uh, people are going to look down on me. Don't worry about people looking down at us. It's important that God lift up our eyes, to lift up our chin, to lift up our heads. That's the more important thing. And God's grace accomplishes that. Don't be afraid to ask for God's grace. Don't try to heal yourself or deliver yourself. A lot of Christians do that. Oh, I can, I, can, I can handle it. I'm strong enough. I can do certain things on my own. That's just pride. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. You, you can't do anything. Jesus says, apart from me, you, can't, you can do nothing. And then when he left, he says, I'm going to send you another comforter because without me, you can't do anything. You can't. It's impossible. God convinces us that you need, that you and I need His grace in our life. Don't put your trust on things and people above the Lord. Don't put such high priority 
on the cares of life or your job or your possessions or your family background. Don't put a lot of stake in that. God doesn't care about those things as much as he cares about your loyalty to him. There has to be a transfer of loyalty. When a shift in loyalty takes place, a change of heart has taken place, and this is accomplished only by the perfect grace of God. You know what saddens me today? As I talk to a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians today are actually trying to reform the faith. Trying to reform the word of God. Saying, well, you know, maybe we misunderstand what Jesus thought about this thing. Uh, maybe maybe it's, it's really not this bad. You know, maybe this, this lifestyle or this way of thinking, uh, maybe it isn't really, uh, uh, you know, that bad after all. Maybe we need to rethink so that we can, in fact, be overcomers and all of that. Listen, loved ones, you can't reform the eternal truth of God's Word. You and I can't do that. We can only bow down to the revelation that God has given us. Unless we acknowledge that God's word is true, there's no transformational change and there's no transfer of loyalty. But that's important to God. It's important to God that you are loyal. In fact, the Bible says that the, the eyes of the Lord is roaming to and fro, seeking for those whose hearts are loyal to him. There's a third aspect of this perfect grace of God. That, that is evidenced and experienced by you and I, and that is through the truthful testimony of a new life. Truthful testimony of a new life. So you have three things, a transformed worship, a transferred loyalty, and a truthful testimony. Look at the verse again, the final verse in our text. It says, I'm still not at all where I should be, but I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven, heavenwards. The grace of God is all about now and the future. It's never about the past. The promise of the future is built on the grace for today. God is calling us today to experience His perfect grace. Let's look at the things in our life where we need His strength. Amen? With the flow of eternal, if the flow of eternal life is hindered, meaning your life is not advancing for the honor and benefit of God's glory, chances are you and I are not experiencing the outworking of God's grace. We all have issues and struggles, and we can say amen to that. That's not just a part of life. It's a fact of life. In fact, I want to say that again. You and I facing struggles as Christians, you and I facing hindrances and barriers to our, to our flow of eternal life, to the flow of eternal life in our lives, that's not, that's, that's not just a part of life. It's a fact of life. Even with Jesus, even with the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, we don't need anything else but Christ. We don't need anything else but the Holy Spirit. We don't need anything else but the Word of God. But the struggles are real. It confronts us. That's why we need to understand how to appropriate that grace in our lives because the grace of God abounds. He doesn't run out of it. Amen? He doesn't deny it to anyone. He doesn't disqualify anyone to access His grace. Do you want to know whether you're experiencing that grace again for yourself? Test yourselves. Let's test ourselves rather in the following areas if it's true in our hearts, okay, in our minds. If you and I have the grace of God, the following things are in focus, okay? There's several of them. Number one, the grace of God ignites the conscience with the holiness of God. First thing, you and I just instinctively know that the God we worship is a holy God. That's how you know that you are experiencing the grace of God. There's an acknowledgement of the holy, the holiness of God. If, if you're going around saying, well, God is love, yeah, I get this picture of Barry White every time people say, you know, God is love. Yeah. I, I, uh, yes, God is love. 
But God is also holy. Amen? So it ignites, grace of God ignites, the Holy Spirit ignites that consciousness in us that God is holy. Number two, he feeds the mind. Grace feeds the mind with the truth of God, the truth about God. In fact, you and I have faith because we heard the truth. You came to faith in Jesus because Jesus is the truth. So you know that you have the grace of God when, there's, when the mind is fed with the truth of God. Thirdly, grace compels the imagination to the beauty of God. God is all about beautiful things. You know, God restores, the Bible says, what, even what the locusts have eaten because God wants to make things beautiful in His way and in in his time. So there's this, there's this imagination of the beauty of God. Not some old bearded guy who just sits somewhere. And then grace opens the heart to the love of God. It opens the heart to the love of God. What does that mean? That, that, that God is opening our hearts toward his love. Again, we describe perfect love as perfect grace and perfect truth, okay? Just got to remember that all the time. God will not simply give us His grace without giving us truth, and God will not just give us truth without giving us grace. So grace and truth comprises the perfect love of God. And finally, grace devotes the will to the purposes of God. So these are these things that, that occupies our minds and our hearts about God that grace accomplishes. So that's a good test for us to, 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 to perform in our lives, especially today. It's Communion Sunday. So let me conclude with our communion challenge this morning before I ask you to stand. I started this message talking about a bird, the eagle. I'm going to close the message by telling you another kind bird okay i was at a turkey farm on one very very hot summer day and i'm telling you i was watching those turkeys there's a reason why they're called turkeys they're crying they're screaming they're squealing because of the heat one foot away from the shade bunch of turkeys a couple of short steps, and there will be the relief. You know, we laugh at that, but sometimes we let our lives go that way. So let me ask you as a communion challenge this morning, are you an eagle or a turkey? Are you going to soar through the storm or cry like a turkey looking for a shade? Let me ask you this question. Are there any talents in your life that has to be shed? Does your beak have to go? Are there any feathers to be plucked out? That's a decision you and I need to make. Some of us need to do what that eagle did. You need to make some changes or you will die. You will die either in your sin or you will die before the right time. So it's a sobering thought. But the Bible does say this God, that God's grace abounds. You can experience it. You and I can enjoy it. You and I can really live it out. But we need to make that decision. Amen. Pastor Israel Labson, Senior Pastor of Living Rock Church of Sunnyvale. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to your church's website to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. 
Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.